Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Callender. There is pretty much no way of summing up this weekend other than incredible, incredible, and just improbable uh, to go along with it. But uh, just unbelievable action in the NCAA tournament. What has to be the wildest first weekend I can ever remember and I mean, basically, it's almost 30 years of watching the NCAA tournament at this stage for me, even growing up as a little kid. Uh, I mean, that I can recall. But, you know, just incredible. And I didn't know where to begin this story uh, in terms of the show tonight, of all the games. But I had the unfortunate pleasure of watching and reading Twitter comments, which... I know I shouldn't do at this point just because it brings out the worst in people, but it, it led me to the talking point I wanted to start off with. So I'll, I'll probably get through this and maybe I'll, I'll just wrap up the rest of the show with the recaps tomorrow when I got a fresh brain to go through everything in my head. But, you know, it, it just struck me as ridiculous at times of how melodramatic people get over their NCAA brackets, like, blaming the kids who played as as if they somehow intended to lose the games that they did. I mean, yes, it's improbable that uh, uh, Cincinnati could blow a 22-point lead with 11 minutes to go in the game, but I'm not going to harass the players on that team on Twitter about my NCAA bracket. I mean, it's so ridiculous the level of just finger-pointing people are willing to go to. And, you know, I that juxtaposition, yeah, juxtaposition, rather, uh, I look at it as, you know, you have these coaches, and yes, the coaches get paid a lot of money, but they're also people who are with these kids every, and I say kids because, I mean, they're college students, but realistically, what were you doing at 19 that really truly stood out as an adult. Not too many people uh, were that mature at, at 19 20. At least I wasn't. But, you know, I, I won't speak for the rest of you who are happening to be listening uh, to this podcast. But, you know, you've just come off a devastating loss. And, I mean, you had the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And, you know, there are so many scenes that played out that way uh, just because of how close uh, these games were and buzzer beaters left and right and, 
uh, leads going uh, in a blink of an eye. But, you know, you have these folks coming out in the immediate agony of a loss within 15 minutes, and you can see it on their faces, and they're answering questions as respectfully as they can. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we lose track of the fact that in life, you're going to get disappointed, but it's how you handle it. And, you know, from the coaches, because uh, Tony Better, the coach of Virginia, handled it with absolute class of his team just getting flat out beat. I mean, he said it himself, but, like, not finger pointing, not complaining about anything. Uh, Chris Mack, uh, I was just listening to him uh, a few minutes ago saying he wishes he could have done more for his players. And you feel the emotion there uh, because, you know, at the end of that, you're trying to do everything you can. And I, I think that's what gets lost sometimes in sports is that people are doing the best that they can. But it's how you actually handle it w- when you win or better yet, when you lose, because that's what kind of defines you. So, you know, uh, he actually made a, a pretty good point of uh, what his uh, old high school coach used to tell him is that the sun always rises tomorrow. So, you know, for those of you who are complaining about your brackets and, like, uh, just saying uh, how upset you're... Uh, again, I'm not saying that this is anyone listening to podcasts, but if you're hearing someone just... And you know they're being overly eccentric, just call them out on it. I mean, it's it's kind of... I, I, realistically, I get annoyed looking at Twitter. But then, you know, as I see it, it's not just people hiding behind keyboards. Because... Literally two days ago, or wait a second, now I'm, now I'm losing track of the days. So, yeah, actually, no, it, it was uh, the 16th. Uh, so that, that would have been Friday. So you've got a professional coach in uh, Premier League, Jose Mourinho, one of the most famous uh, football-slash-soccer coaches of all time. Uh, won multiple titles, multiple leagues. He has nothing to prove, yet... He's co- he's managing Manchester United, and they lose in a tournament uh, to an inferior team in Sevilla. I, I talked about this uh, last uh, podcast a little bit, and instead of just flat out saying that he uh, he could have done better and his team could have done better, but you know it is what it is. He went out of his way to criticize the failure of. Uh, Manchester United. Now, I believe me, I'm never going to be a supporter for Manchester United because, you know, I was born into being an Arsenal fan. But, you know, it's the fact that when you are in a position where you speak and you represent folks, so you represent your your players and your uh, team, you have to be respectful of everything that goes along with the process, win or lose. And... Mourinho, for unexplained reasons, and I, I, I will, uh, the only thing I can fathom is that he's just still trying to convince himself that none of this is his fault and that everyone else is failing him, uh, felt the need to criticize the club's performances over the past seven years as a sign of this is a failing club and I'm here to fix it. He then doubled down on... Uh, uh, so that was uh, Wednesday, immediately after the match. So, again, uh, that juxtaposition I was talking about where you have everyone screaming and hollering and you have these college coaches accepting, 
you know, that they lost and how proud they were of their players and wishing that they could have done more. You got Mourinho, on the other hand, who's a professional. And yes, professional versus amateur level in college. Yes, two different things. But there is something to be said about having class and dignity. So Mourinho proceeds to, and I'll probably play some clips of the press conference just to highlight my point. But Mourinho goes out of his way to state that there are players on his own team that wouldn't play on Sevilla, their opponent, which is, is false. But again, it's also insulting to his own players because he's literally throwing them under the bus saying, they're not good enough to win for me. You know, I need, I need better players. And, you know, at a certain point, it's, it's, just, it's just tiresome uh, because, again, it's bad enough when you have nameless people uh, just the thrown out accusations of things they don't know about. It's a completely different matter when someone that you're supposed to trust, who's supposed to be the guy representing you and actually having your interests in mind of ma- making sure you, you can play the best that you can be, and he's just throwing you under the bus because he doesn't want to accept any responsibility for when there's a shortcoming and then you have a stumble. You know, I, I, I look at it and I'm, I'm saying this is this kind of, uh, uh, so, uh, I don't know if it's epidemic or, or what, what the exact word is uh, that I'm searching for uh, as we just passed midnight, so Monday morning. But uh, it's just one of those where I don't understand where in society we have come to a point where you can no longer do constructive criticism without completely just uh, savaging the other person. Because, I mean, constructive criticism uh, is useful in a way. But when you're doing it to pump yourself up at the expense of somebody else, that's not constructive. That's just being a dick, <laughs> to, to, put, to put it bluntly. Uh, you know, just to, just so you can amplify your own ego at the expense of someone else when you uh, when you can at least be providing them some... Uh, 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 something productive that to build off of instead of tearing someone down completely just for the hell of it. I, I, there's nothing, there's nothing productive about that uh, at all. I mean, it shouldn't be happening in Twitter. It shouldn't be happening in the professional landscape. So I at least applaud the college coaches for, and you know, there are many things to bang on the NCAA about, but in terms of March Madness and how coaches handle, uh, defeat and go about it because you you see that they care and now i i have my concerns about some of the uh college football coaches but you see the basketball coaches and maybe they're putting on a good face and maybe they're a good actor but i don't think you can act that with that kind of emotion uh to be frank because when they talk about how much they're going to miss them because they know that they'll never be able to coach this particular group of players again that's real in my opinion. So that, I mean, again, that's where I kind of thought of leading the show off with, because I think a lot of times people get caught up with not actually taking into perspective the human element uh, when it comes to March Madness. Because yes, the brackets are great and all. And yes, the upsets are are, uh, phenomenal, entertaining television, but I don't think people necessarily put two and two together that these are still human beings out there and not commodities for your viewing pleasure. So 
maybe it's me just need to stay off of Twitter, but I, you know, I, I felt the need to put some context to that tonight uh, because, uh, you know, as fantastic as uh, some of the games were, I, you know, reading up on social media, just it just uh, aggravated me, and maybe I, I should just avoid <laughs> social media even more than I already do, but I, I just felt the need to uh, say something on that front. So, uh, without uh, further ado, uh, and getting on with the show, uh, just because uh, we need to do uh, some of the recaps, I'll start off with the game of the day, in my opinion, although there were plenty of candidates, uh, but the one that really st- stuck out to me was uh, Nevada against Cincinnati, because point point be told, uh, I I view this as the greatest comeback in NCAA history. Even though it wasn't the uh, largest uh, deficit to come back from in NCAA history, uh, to me, given the point at at which they were, uh, Nevada being down 22 points with 11.37 left to go, in the game, I mean the big the other comeback came with twenty five, but that was still in the first half. Twenty two down with eleven minutes left, that to me is even more impressive because uh, if you consider context, Nevada uh, plays a small bench. They only play six guys. They're tired. They're getting broken down. They're getting bossed around by Cincinnati, uh, being more physical. They uh, their coach got a technical after their player got a technical. Things were looking. There were so many reasons for Nevada to pack that game in, and no one would have been any wiser. It's just one of those circumstances where you know you got you're playing a better team and you get you're getting a little worked over. Now, in terms of uh, the Martin Twins, uh, they actually uh, were the uh, even though they were transfers. They were the more highly rated prospects in that entire game. But the fact that they came back is just more of a testament to uh, them wanting it and uh, Cincinnati making a couple of uh, critical mistakes down the stretch. So uh, one uh, being the fact that uh, Jared Cumberland fouls out of the game with four minutes to go where he picked up foul number four with uh, uh, just under five minutes to go and managed to talk Mick Cronin into leaving him in the game. And, you know, Cronin's going to be sick to his stomach over this one because uh, obviously Cumberland fouls out immediately afterwards, which, again, he's not trying to foul out of the game. He he legitimately thought he could do it. Sometimes you can get caught up with the emotion of the moment and not rationally think it through, which, which can happen uh, in a high-pressure situation. And uh, in terms of... Down the stretch, Cincinnati, again, without Cumberland, self-destructed in certain spots because they were put in positions that they weren't comfortable with. And meanwhile, Nevada, I, I you know, their coach, Eric Musselman, uh, who for some reason wanted to show off his pecs, I guess, took off his shirt after the, uh, the win. But uh, the one thing he said that stuck with me was the fact that uh, in terms of Ricardo, uh, uh, they don't uh, they don't get uh, they don't get tired. They they get stronger, which to me sounds like hogwash because obviously if you're running up and down the court, you're gonna get tired. But uh, realistically, their cardio was so good that as the game progressed along, even though they played a shorter bench than Cincinnati, they wore down Cincinnati because you could see Cincinnati getting tired, and when you get tired, you're gonna make mistakes because of the fatigue. 
and so a, a number of the turnovers because Cincinnati had, had about uh, I believe in that 11th minute stretch he, they had uh, either five or six turnovers that Nevada capitalized on every single possession. I mean, basically in that circumstance, Nevada had no choice, and it's similar to what happened with them in Texas because they should have lost to Texas too. Uh, Texas had uh, the uh, the lead late going into that one, the up seven, and you know. The, the the craziest stat about uh, Nevada is the fact that uh, they have led for a grand total of one minute and 56 seconds of the tournament thus far through two games, and they're going to the Sweet 16. I mean, that's how crazy uh, that game was because Nevada did not have a lead in the game until the final bucket with uh, nine seconds left to go in the game. That's how ridiculous it was. So, again, credit to Nevada. You feel bad for Cincinnati because they were primed for uh, an NCAA run uh, deep into the tournament uh, and possibly get to the Final Four. But we have another candidate right behind them because uh, we have the Xavier-Florida State matchup. And the Xavier fans were in the building cheering on uh, cheering on Nevada right before that game. So it, it's, it's an interesting contrast that happened there because... Uh, and I also want to say one word to the television producer because I think this game uh just because I'm flipping through what amounts to four games at once but uh, uh to the producer uh I believe it was TNT if I'm not mistaken that game was on but whoever the producer was I have an issue with you focusing on the one particular child for Cincinnati crying on national TV because you kept cutting to that shot no less than five times. Okay, we, we get the point that the kid's crying. After the, after the uh, first couple of uh, couple of sh- sh- uh, shots, I mean, no more than two. But they kept going back to it. Uh, they were showing other plays, but they kept going back to it. So literally, it built up where that kid was shown crying uh, uncontrollably uh, on the t- television screen uh uh, I, I, five times, and no, no, no doubt about it in my mind. It, it just that annoyed me, just because it was so unnecessary uh, that that kid was shown on national TV crying. I, I don't know who his parents were. I don't know if it was a member of the family, but to me, that just felt wrong. And uh, but you know, I'll get into the rest of the recap, but uh, that was one point that stuck with me. I didn't like the fact that they kept showing that kid crying for for no reason. It was just. We saw it once, but you didn't have to keep going to it. I, I, I just thought that was wrong by uh, the producer. Even though they did a good job covering the game, I, I thought that particular moment was uh, uh, unnecessary for television purposes. Moving on to another shocker in a day of shockers, we've got the Xavier game against Florida State, where in the Knowles close out the game on an 18-4 run to knock off Xavier, and... Again, this game was a head-scratcher because even though it was a game of runs, Xavier was still comfortably ahead in this one. Right up until the moment uh, J.P. McCora picked up his fifth foul on an offensive charge. And this was debated because uh, the third, fourth, and fifth fouls were kind of questionable. The fifth foul, I still thought that was a charge. Uh, so he, you had to foul him out, but... He had a couple of ticky-tack ta- uh, fouls that uh, really changed the, the scope of this game. And without McCurr on the floor, 
Uh, you could see Xavier was just not in any uh, sort of rhythm. Uh, they could they could have moved the ball around offensively, and their one through one zone was not nearly the same without McCoury at the point of it uh, is st- uh, steering the ship. So I credit uh, Florida State for hanging in there because re- realistically, Florida State just kept throwing bodies at. Uh, Trayvon Blewett, uh, who struggled all game long for the Musketeers. But uh, I, I give a lot of credit to Leonard Hamilton of Florida State just for not uh, rolling over in that game. Because, again, with a stretch of that game, you could see uh, uh, Xavier was uh, basically pulling away uh, with that one. And, uh, you know, in, in, ter- in terms of how Florida State responded, that that's... That's what you're looking for in a tournament when you're looking for an upset. You're looking for somebody to step up to the plate and actually uh, take things over, even though things have not gone their way uh, during the game. And uh, that's what Florida State did. They took control of that game, and Xavier did not handle it well. I, I know Chris Max, uh, I, I mentioned it before, he, he wished he could have done more for his team because I I felt that he he probably pulled the trigger a little too soon on Makura. Uh uh, between the third and the fourth foul, pulling them. Uh, but, you know, once that fifth foul happened, uh, that game changed dramatically. So he, he could sense that uh, something was a little bit off of his team just because of how much Blewett was struggling uh, from the field. And uh, not, re- I mean, not known as a great defender either, but he just couldn't pick it up at other parts of his game uh, because the shot wasn't falling. So uh, with that being said, uh, let's get into uh, how the brackets shape up now. Across uh, across the board. Uh, so, in terms of the Sweet 16 matchups, you've got uh, Kansas State, who survived a game effort from UMBC. Uh, UMBC basically just ran out of time uh, in that one uh, just because of Kansas State's size. They were able to grind them a bit and pull away and eke out the victory. But that that's really what it came down to. Uh, Kansas State just had a little bit more size. The shooting was not there for Kansas State, so uh, they're going to need to pick that up against Kentucky uh, because Kentucky looked awfully good against Buffalo. Buffalo made the mistake of trying to run with Kentucky, and that is one way you're guaranteed to lose against Kentucky. You're not beating Calipari's team by trying to run with them unless you're Villanova and you can hit shots uh, at will, essentially, because uh, Kentucky, even though they don't have a, a star... A player uh, in the classic sense, uh, they have enough firepower uh, between Diallo, Gilgis Alexander, and uh, Knox that they can run with anyone and they can put up uh, the points. So it's just w- one of those matchups where, realistically, if you're going to beat Kentucky, you got to be able to slow the game down and uh, start picking them apart. Uh, that's why Virginia was a great matchup. Uh, uh, well, a horrible matchup for Kentucky, but uh, Virginia uh, would uh, would have liked that matchup against Kentucky because I, I felt a lot of what Virginia did well uh, played uh, against uh, Kentucky's uh, uh, weaknesses. So Virginia would have had an easier time beating Kentucky than they would have had if uh, Arizona was in, in the mix there. So uh, obviously <laughs> none of those teams were in the mix, and Coach Cal has a, a plum matchup against Kansas State because Kansas State, even though uh, they slowed the, the game down, uh, Bruce Weber's team doesn't necessarily have the athleticism. Even though they had the size advantage against UMBC, 
UMBC was able to keep uh, keep up with them step for step. It's it's just a matter of uh, Kansas State was able to just uh, out muscle them for a couple of rebounds here and there. That's not going to happen against Kentucky. I, I think uh, Kansas State's going to have some difficulty uh, keeping pace with Kentucky, especially uh, as to close out the halves. Uh, I think for the first couple of minutes uh, they'll be fine in each half, but it's it's the closing periods of the half, the last five minutes of each half. I think that's where Kansas State's really going to be susceptible to uh, Kentucky. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, uh, that's a one matchup in the South where I'm, I'd be more than a little concerned. As, so Bruce Weber has his uh, work cut out for him. The other matchup in the South region uh, that's going to be very interesting to uh, see is the sto- story of the Cinderella. So uh, uh, basically on Thursday night we're going to get Loyola Chicago and Sister Jean that uh, story that is all over the news. And Nevada, again, a team that plays six guys and six guys only and basically tries to run you off the court uh, with their cardio and hope that you tire out. In terms of style of play, again, this is going to be dictated by pace. Uh, Loyola Chicago is going to try to slow the game down, uh, spread the ball around, uh, use uh, use uh, the fact that they, they pass the ball as... I enjoy watching you loyal Chicago uh, pass the ball. It, you know, it's one of those things where uh, you look at the uh, statistical measures uh, from all the indexes uh, in terms of uh, just uh, tempo and offensive efficiency and defense efficiency. Uh, you, you lose track of how they actually play. And watching loyal Chicago play, and I got to give a shout out to my boy Mike Hamilton because he's the one who turned me on to this team in the first place. I saw them in the Missouri Valley uh, Conference, uh, but uh, I wasn't paying that close attention to them until the final uh, when he mentioned them. But, you know, in terms of how they play, it's just so much ball sharing, which is refreshing because a lot of times you just see dribble, 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 pass uh, pass off or t- take, a, uh, take a contested shot. Loyal Chicago uh, moves the ball around so fluidly that – that's what sets up their offense. So, in terms of made field goals of the tournament they've had, of the 48, 36 of them were actually clued off of assists, uh, which is an incredibly high ratio because the only, uh, in terms of regular season performance, the only teams that were coming close to that you'd see in the high 60s. So, uh, to get it to all the way up to 75%, that's truly a sign of just uh, being unselfish with the ball and peaking at the right time. So, Again, balanced scoring across the board for Loyola Chicago. They're going to need that again against uh, uh, Nevada because the way Nevada plays, and it's a frenetic pace, I, I think Nevada tries to suck teams into uh, getting getting into their pace and, and, and uh, using their athleticism to try to uh, exert their will on you and force you to eventually get caught up with uh, trying to run with them because you're so tired of... Uh, uh, moving the, uh, the basketball around the way you should that you you get caught up of, okay, well, let me speed myself up just to get past these guys, uh, which is what they want you to do. So uh, I, it's almost in a way like a reverse psychology, but I, I look at this matchup and I'm saying to myself that uh, given the way Loyal Chicago has been playing, I, I kind of see them as a, uh, as a way of w- winning this one, even though uh, in terms of NBA prospects, you're looking at the uh, Martin, t- uh, Martin Twins and, uh, and saying that they sh- Nevada should be able to win this game. It's just the fact that, uh, like I said before, Nevada was on such a downward trend 
the fact that he's been able to turn around is uh, is just a, a, inexplicable, to be honest. But uh, it's uh, curious to see how they manage it against a team that legitimately is going to be slowing down uh, the pace of play to a degree that they haven't seen in the tournament thus far. Because Texas uh, likes to run, even though they shouldn't, and they're not very good at it. And Cincinnati, even though they were well-equipped to uh, keep going to half court, got caught up in the last, uh, because they were up so big, they got caught up in running with them, and that's what triggered the, the comeback in a way. Now, taking a look through in terms of the West region, you've got a matchup between Florida State and Gonzaga. Uh, realistically, I, I look at this as a case of Florida State had a huge win. No one really expected it. But, again, I have a tough time seeing how they're going to match up against Gonzaga. Gonzaga uh, had a bit of a scare with Ohio State. I'm not going to lie. It was it was a closer matchup than I thought it was going to be. Uh, but uh, Gonzaga uh, got it together by hitting their free throws uh, down the stretch, which they were struggling to uh, at the beginning of the game. But uh, Hachimura uh, had a game. But realistically, I look at this as a game where Florida State, they're going to throw ways at Gonzaga. Uh, what I think this game ultimately comes down to is how many easy buckets can Florida State avoid giving out to Gonzaga uh, in their front court? I think if they can limit the damage, uh, they've got a chance of hanging in this one. But they cannot get uh, beat up on the boards uh, by Gonzaga. Uh, the way they operate, because otherwise I think Gonzaga ends up grinding them down uh, towards the end. So uh, we'll see how that one plays out, but uh, I I look at Gonzaga as uh, a favorite there, and I agree with the five-and-a-half spread. That, even though it's one of the higher ones in the tournament still uh, at this stage, uh, I I think it's more than justified uh, given uh, the scope of competition and uh, Gonzaga having a full couple of days to prepare for Florida State, I, I think that also plays a role in it. Where uh, that day hangover, I think uh, caught up with uh, Xavier, but uh, I do think the Zags are going to be ready for some of the sets that Florida State likes to throw out. Now, in terms of the other matchup in the West, you've got Michigan and A and M. A and M had the biggest. Uh, in terms of beatdowns that you didn't really see coming uh, when they beat North Carolina. Now, I know it wasn't a classic North Carolina team, and A&M in the beginning of the year did look good right up until they started getting suspensions uh, for various uh, reasons. So A&M had a talented squad. It's just that that squad has not come to the forefront in months now. So the fact that they turn it on for the tournament uh you know that works uh, works out for them, but uh, it was uh, a little bit of a trying period for A and M because uh, they had uh, uh, three uh, three guys uh, suspended for multiple games for various reasons, which A and M really never went into because they said it was violations of the their policy, which for whatever that means, uh, uh, team rules and infractions they broke. But you know, be, be that as it may. Uh, the crux of the argument here is the fact that A&M is back together now. They've 
they've gotten back to their early season form, and they've got some swagger with them too. In terms of size, they've got plenty of it, and Michigan, for a lack of a better term, has not exactly been the best equipped team to deal with size. Uh, they str- struggled against that in the Big Ten uh, to a certain degree. And so a lot of the struggles that North Carolina had uh, with the athleticism of A&M's bigs, I think Michigan's going to run into the exact same problem. Uh, uh, Michigan Michigan has a chance full in this matchup, uh, trying to come up with a way of spreading out the floor and getting those bigs into spaces that they don't want to be in. Uh, North Carolina could not buy a bucket to save their lives. Uh, if Carolina was able to hit some shots, that game uh, goes a little uh, goes differently. Uh, so Michigan has got to get off to a good shooting start. Uh, they cannot go cold the way Carolina did. Otherwise, they're going to get blown out just the way uh, the Tar Heels did. Uh, Tar Heels just could not hit a bucket to save their lives. So uh, shooting's got to be paramount for Michigan. They've got to be able to hit their threes to stretch the floor and avoid having to come inside because uh, Carolina found out real quick that uh, it is tough to get uh, buckets on the inside against A&M uh, with the way they're playing in their wingspan. So uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, game to see uh, on Thursday because, uh, again, if Michigan does not hit shots early, this could get ugly the same way the Carolina game did. And moving on, uh, we've got the East region. Nova is in the catbird seat in a way because folks have been uh, looking at at this draw and saying that Nova has had a cakewalk uh, in terms of uh, their matchups. This is the first real test Nova's going to have in in, uh, Press Virginia. Uh, uh, West Virginia in the press in their press has uh, has been uh, playing extremely well. They've uh, controlled both games they've been in, so this is going to be the first test they face too. Uh, the thing is with Nova, they're used to the press. I mean, they they, they press teams too. So it's you got two teams that press uh, quite a bit defensively uh, and got excellent ball handlers. This is going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, you know, I give the edge to Nova because of their shooting, but I'm not going to be shocked if West Virginia pulls off the upset. It's just one of those games where uh, realistically I, I see – uh, too many ways where uh, Nova can win this game, and West Virginia needs a whole number of factors to bounce just right in their favor. So, uh, again, what West Virginia likes to do, Nova's used to, because they, they practice it every uh, every practice that they've got. So, I, I, I don't really see them getting flustered by the press. I mean, you're going to see turnovers regardless, but I think if, it, if you speed the game up, that favors Nova and West Virginia really doesn't have a plan B other than the press. So I, I like uh, Nova's chances to, to advance. The other game in the East region that's going to be interesting on Friday night is uh, Texas Tech and Purdue. Uh, I picked uh, Texas Tech as a potential Elite Eight squad for a reason, and that reason being the fact that I, I think they had enough versatility and the way they play with uh, Evans, that they can give Purdue fits in ways that a lot of teams don't really uh, uh, contest Purdue. Now, the Isaac Haas injury hurt Purdue from an offensive standpoint, but it improved their defense because 
Harms is a better defender, uh, just watching how he played against Butler. Uh, some of the reasons why I thought Butler were going to win, the reason why they did it is because Harms was in there instead of Haas. So uh, that actually uh, worked out better for Purdue than I thought it would. I, I thought uh, Haas uh, being out was going to hurt them offensively and defensively. It actually improved the defense a bit. Uh, so unless uh, Tech can figure out ways of uh, getting Harms in uh, into awkward positions that he's not used to, uh, th- that should be interesting. Because uh, Kenny Smith made the point of uh, how is the guy going to adjust to uh, when they're used to playing bench minutes, when they get starter minutes. To me, I thought Harms uh, passed through with flying colors. So uh, I don't think that's going to be an issue. It's going to be an issue of how well can Tech execute prevent easy buckets for Purdue because if you can limit Purdue to having to hit jump shots, you're probably going to win the game. Uh, Butler did what they needed to do to win that game. It's just that Purdue actually was able to hit some outside shots late in the game and uh, pull, uh, pull it away. So I I, I like the, the, the approach Butler had. It's just that in terms of execution, Purdue just hit some shots. And sometimes you got to tip your hat to it. But I think that same game plan that Butler utilized that's how you beat Purdue. So uh, I, I look at this to be a tight game, uh, even though I, I still think that uh, Tech has uh, the edge in winning it. Uh, this is the smallest spread of uh, any of these Sweet 16 games at uh, one and a half in favor of Purdue. Uh, a, I think it's uh, because the odds makers are factoring in the Haas injury, but B, I think these are uh, two evenly matched uh, teams. So it's going to be an interesting uh See how uh, see how this game unfolds because again this is gonna uh, end up being determined that where it's gonna be a couple of plays here and there maybe a foul call here and there a charge drawn uh, something's gonna have to differentiate these two teams I'm not sure exactly what but I I do feel this is gonna be one of the tightest games uh, of uh, the Sweet 16 uh, round and then moving on uh, in terms of uh, uh, the games here. Uh, I, I got to look at in terms of Kansas and Clemson. I, I talked about uh, Clemson being the weakest five seed. And maybe I have to walk that one back, but I, I, I still think it was the level of competition that they were playing in Auburn because Auburn just had no offense. It was brutal. They had 24 points through 24 minutes, 26 points through 26 minutes. I think they finally got past uh, the uh, above the one point per minute uh, ratio with about five minutes left to go in the game when they started hitting a few threes. But uh, the, Auburn only scored 53 points. Clemson ruled uh, by 31 and, and an utter blowout. I, I look at Clemson. I'm not that impressed with Clemson uh, in terms of uh, what uh, they, can, they can do. Yeah, they, I know they've had a decent run in the ACC. I just think that uh, that resume is a l- has a little bit more fluff to it than people realize. Uh, offensively, I-, I just don't think that they're as talented as they've uh, as they've looked in the tournament. But uh, in terms of Kansas, uh, I still look at Graham at the point uh, being able to uh, run things. I think that uh, spread of uh, minus four uh, in favor of Kansas. It- you know, I think it could have been higher, uh, to be frank. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, people have been doubting Kansas. I mean, I'm not the biggest Kansas uh, supporter either because I, I know Kansas has issues 
dealing with size, which is why that Seton Hall game was so close because Angel Delgado literally just bullied uh, uh, bullied uh, uh, Kansas on the interior. Uh, but uh, uh, just uh, interesting uh, to see where Kansas goes from here because I, I think they advanced past Clemson, uh, and that sets up a matchup uh, with what I think it to be the presumptive favor in the tournament, which is Duke. Because I look at the last matchup here uh, between Duke and Syracuse, and to me, this is a nice story for Syracuse, even though I still don't think they should have been in the tournament. I, I look at the Q's here as a team where this is where the run ends because the issues that their opponents thus far in the tournament had, Duke does not have. Uh, Duke has played Syracuse before, so unlike TCU and Michigan State, they've seen the zone. Uh, I know Coach Izzo is kicking himself because his team just could not figure out a way of getting around the zone, even though he was trying to coach them uh, different ways of getting around it. Duke has seen that zone so many times. They employ a variation of the 2-3 zone as well as uh, in terms of their defensive principles. They're not going to be fooled by it. They're going to know what to do. And they've got two big reasons why that they're going to blow up that zone in terms of uh, Wendell Clock Jr. and Marvin Bagley III. Those guys are absolute beasts. Uh, You know, they can muscle out in terms of rebounds. Uh, a lot of what Syracuse is going to try to do, they're going to try to bang, and those guys can bang right back, and they're better at it than Syracuse is on the interior. Uh, and between Duke's outside shooting, uh, I, I look at that. The reason, I mean, again, the Lions at eleven and a half for a reason. Uh, it's going to take a colossal, colossal cold streak for Duke not to win this game outright. Uh, Again, Syracuse has not been able to score more than 57 points in the two games. You've got to be able to score 70 points to even consider beating Duke. I don't see it even coming close to that with Syracuse. We'll see how it goes, but I think that game's a lock for Duke. And in terms of the way they match up against everyone else in the tournament, the the team that can knock them out would be Nova's shooting, but... I look at this as this is Duke's tournament to lose at this point. Uh, I said it before, if you hate Duke, you're probably going to hate how this tournament plays out. But the fact that they don't have, they didn't even have to face Michigan State, that's just a golden opportunity for Duke to make a, a deep run in this tournament. I'm not sure uh, who's going to be able to knock them out at this stage outside of Nova. So uh, we'll see how the, uh, the rest of the tournament plays out. But that's kind of where I uh, sized everything up. So, finally, uh, one other item I want to get into, uh, just because I hadn't been paying too close attention to the NBA, except for one story that seems to be prevalent. And it's just the fact that, despite every conversation that's uh, popped up with the league office and the officials, it's just night after night, somebody's getting fined for criticizing NBA officiating. And now it's just... Random, uh, uh, random coaches that you would never, ever expect to get fined. I mean, usually it'd be one of the more colorful uh, coaches uh, that you could see getting fined, like a Stan Van Gundy. But I mean, when you're getting guys like uh, Alvin Gentry and Dwayne Casey, who basically are the equivalent of Ned Flanders, 
those are not the kind of guys who are going to rip on officials. If those guys are the ones complaining about the officiating, you've got an epidemic on your hands here. And I don't know how the NBA is going to fix it, but they've got to be able to uh, get around of uh, making it, it at least somewhat less confrontational between players, officials, and uh, coaches. Because uh, this is not a healthy way of going into the, the NBA playoffs where everyone's going to be watching the games. But if coaches and players are griping on the uh, refs every single time and refs are tossing players and coaches... We're going to have situations where players are going to get automatic suspensions in the middle of the playoffs. And for those of us not following games closely, you're going to be wondering, why is that player suspended? And for that to be because they accrue too many uh, regular season technicals arguing with officials, this is not what the plan is supposed to be enforced for. It's supposed to be enforced for uh, if you're being egregious about technicals. This this was the Rasheed Wallace rule. Uh, where he would complain about everything. But if you're getting enough games throughout the year where you got close enough calls and referees are not diffusing the situation, but rather escalating it, leading up to having them use the technical to get rid of players and coaches, that's not a healthy way of uh, going about managing the league. So Adam Silver, I know, is looking at this with great detail because I I see this playing out uh, in... uh, in a not-so-nice way uh, come the playoffs, and that's not uh, that's not a, a very good spot for the league being uh, in terms of uh, of uh, uh, being believable. Because it used to be the fact that you could you could laugh about uh, David uh, David Stern fixing games, but when players and coaches are actively suggesting that referees have their bias towards teams and are trying to fix it so that it's the Rockets and Warriors. You've got you've got issues. You've got to you got to nip that in the bud. So uh, whether it's uh, nixing the two minute uh, report that the referees are doing and announcing the results of how many times the refs have screwed up, it's just not a good look for the league. So uh, that's something that they're gonna have to take a look at. Uh, that's all I have time for uh, the show. Uh, that I wrapped it up tonight. Uh, I'm gonna get into some fantasy baseball. Again, I know I did the top 100 in terms of players, but I want to get into positions to look out for in terms of depth as you're drafting your roster. So uh, do some back end on position players and also uh, going through uh, my starter rankings uh, uh, just to give a little bit more context as to uh, uh, who I'm looking to target. So for the folks that I play against in my leagues, yes, I'm giving away my draft strategy, but... uh, It's for the good of the show, so I'm more than happy to do it. So that's all for now, and uh, have a good night, everyone. Presented by T-Mobile 
the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.